0: Hi there, gardening friends. Welcome to Plano's. Are you sick of summer yet? Is everything burned up and dried to a crisp? It pretty much here, is over here. Because everything that I am not intentionally and specifically watering is just slowly suffering. It's baking, it's dehydrating. I mean, between the heat and the lack of humidity and the wind. I mean, it's pretty much a convection oven and it's just miserable. It's totally gross and miserable out there. It's been a couple weeks now, um, probably three weeks ago, actually. I was out on a Sunday morning early, early um, before it got too hot, and then I went out again to work in the garden um, late, late, like working in the dark by the light of the moon and by the glow from my phone um, because I wanted to work when it was cooler and I was really motivated to get what I need done, um, getting a couple of the beds refreshed for fall planting. And it was so gross. It was just so dry and dusty and it totally set off all my allergies and irritated my head and my chest and my upper respiratory. And I have been dealing with bronchitis and a sinus infection for Two and a half, three weeks, and you know for the most part I'm over it now. I you know still have some issues I think um but you know I, I, i'm I'm hopeful that I'm I'm over it I, I certainly have had a lot of medicine, um, but I'm tired of it all. I'm tired of the crud, I'm tired of the heat. My sad, desiccated yard. I'm just tired of it all. It's just all awful. And I am struggling to stay optimistic. But I'm trying. Even though it's wearing me out, the days aren't quite as long. And they're a little bit shorter every day as we get closer to. Fall, and even though it doesn't feel like it, we are actually in a new planting window. So, if you want to be able to harvest fresh produce from your garden this fall, then you need to plant your things now. So, here in Taylor and all of central Texas, we are just so lucky to have a second chance to plant all of our favorite summer crops so we can put in another round of beans summer squash cucumbers okra corn southern peas and we can also um plant some spinach seeds too now the trick for this time of year is to um only plant varieties that need about 60 days to mature if they need more time like 75 or 100 days there's a chance that there might not be enough time for your plants to mature before it gets too cold we could get a, a cold snap and um, then you wouldn't get your wouldn't get your crop so uh, don't set yourself up for disappoint, disappointment there just read the seed packets or um you know read the plant tag and on, on the description, look for the days to mature number. It's going to be on there. If that number is like 50, 55, 60, 65 days, it's going to be a good variety for your fall garden. We can transplant peppers, tomatoes, and eggplants. Those guys take a little bit more time to get their root systems established, but There is still some time to get them in the ground and you'll have time for them to grow and be healthy and happy, productive plants. Also, if you want fall potatoes, start looking for some seed potatoes or get some small organic grocery store potatoes so that you can pre-sprout and plant those during the last two weeks of August. We have a really, really short planting window for Irish potatoes, but you need to start looking for them now since sea potatoes are harder to find this time of year in Texas. If you have some plants still hanging in there, like good old okra or black-eyed peas or maybe sweet potatoes, and if you haven't fertilized in a long time, you may be tempted to, but the forecast uh, this coming week still looks stupid hot, like still in the hundreds and not much chance of rain. And whenever daytime temperatures consistently stay in the 90s and overnight temperatures are in the 70s, many plants will stop growing and blooming or setting fruit. And with this heat, you have to be careful with extra fertilizer. I mean, I know it is, it is really tempting because you see your sad plants and you just want to help them, but you got to remember that stressed and weak plants don't respond to fertilizer like healthy plants. So unless you know exactly what sort of nutritional deficiency your plants have, compost is really much more beneficial this time of year. Excessive fertilizer can actually burn your plants from the inside out. And crispy brown edges on yellowing leaves, that's a classic sign of fertilizer burn. Too much fertilizer. If you gotta do something you just can't help yourself. A very, very weak diluted organic liquid product or compost tea would um, could be beneficial, but start with a mild or weak dilution. You can always add more another day, but it is just hard, if not impossible, to reverse over fertilization. But really, compost and compost tea are always very safe to add any time of the year. Just don't apply compost tea to plants during the heat of the day. Regular compost from your pile or your bag, that's fine. You can put that down, that dry stuff, you can put that down whenever. But if you already have some of that nice finished compost, then you know why don't you just make some tea? You're gonna be high- watering your plants anyway. So take some of that finished compost and make your plants some compost tea. It's super easy and it's cheap. All you need is a five-gallon bucket, water, finished compost, and an old pillowcase. Put, um, you know, just a couple shovelfuls of compost into the pillowcase and then tie that up and then set that in your bucket. Fill your bucket up with water and just let it soak. Let it brew for a few days, you know, two or three days, 24, 36 hours or so, but check it every day. You want to slosh that pillowcase up and down kind of like a tea bag. In this heat, it's not gonna take long at all to make compost tea. Once the liquid gets dark, it's ready to use in the garden. If you are using finished compost from your garden or from a bag, your tea is gonna have um, a nice earthy smell to it. If it is sour-smelling or putrid, then there might be an issue with bacteria. And this can happen if there's animal manure in your compost. Um, you can use that on your non-food plants and flowers and lawns and whatnot. Um, you just don't want to use any unfinished manure compost on food crops, um, as a general rule, if the compost tea smells like dirt, it's fine. If it smells like sewage or a barnyard, don't put it on your food. Pour it out. Put it on something else. Better to start over than getting some sort of weird bacteria that could make you sick. Again, if it smells earthy, it's good, and your plants are going to love it. Oh, a few weeks ago back when I was... Um, just getting that bronchitis and sinus infection mess, Um, I did start some uh, transplants for my fall garden. I started some cucumber and some squash squash plants. So now I have some seedlings that I get to transplant. Right now, they only have their first set of real leaves, so it's still too soon to plant them out in the garden. I'm going to let them grow out a little bit more and then plant them, hopefully, like, maybe next week. Um, maybe it might even be a little bit cooler then, but I doubt it. Um, anyway, I did not grow any squash this summer because I was really frustrated last year. I had such a issue with squash vine borers totally destroying my plants. And... You know, actually, I managed to um, harvest plenty of squash last year—enough um, for my family and also uh, enough to share with a few folks. But honestly, it was so much freaking work. It was a ton of work, um, and that's because I was a obsessed maniac checking on my squash plants um, three times a day, looking for squash vine borer moths and their eggs and larvae and their damage and i was crazy so i didn't plant any um squash this summer squash vine borers will lay their eggs in the soil and some of the best advice for dealing with squash vine borers is to rotate your crops and not plant squash in the same bed. And this year, that just wasn't enough for me to just find a different bed, so I just skipped the squash this year and just bought squash if I wanted it. And I had just hope that any borers that were in the soil would just hatch and fly away and go find somebody else's squash to terrorize. I really wasn't planning on growing squash for, uh, in the fall either, but I don't know. I impulsed planted some tatumi squash seeds because I had some leftover from a couple of years ago. Um, and it did really, really well. And I didn't have any problems with squash vine borers then. So I decided to, um, put those in the seed tray when I was planting my cucumbers and, Sure enough, those tatoumets came up. Tatume squash, um, it's it's an old heirloom variety. It's a dual purpose squash, and this means that Mm. tatoumets can be picked and eaten pretty much at any time. You can pick them when they're small and use them just like summer squash. Just swap it out for like yellow squash or zucchini, or you can, Leave them on the vine, let them mature longer, and use them like other winter squashes like butternut or acorn squash. I think they're really great for the fall garden uh, since they can be harvested when they're young, about the size of a softball or a baseball. Once they get a little bit bigger than that, the outside of the squash starts to change. It starts to get thicker and harder. And when they get to be about the size of a cantaloupe, then the skin is just really too tough for me to enjoy. But you know, I just slice it off and enjoy the rest of the squash. Eventually, um, if you let them continue to grow, they're gonna get about the size of like a soccer ball and they will get hard just like a pumpkin. And sometimes they'll even turn completely orange. Just leave them out on the vine um, until they get hard. Everything about tutumi squash is big, too. They put out super long vines, just like pumpkins and watermelons. The vines can get like 12 feet long, and they are covered in these huge golden blossoms. They're, they're such a pretty color gold, and they have... So many blossoms, and a lot of times people will take um, the extra uh, flowers and then like stuff them with like herbs and cheese and then fry them up. And there always seems to be many more male flowers more flowers, more male flowers than female flowers. So, taking a few of them to make stuffed squash blossoms won't affect your harvest. These squash also seem to be, uh, have lots of names, um, the tatumé, tatuma, round squash because they are very round, also Mexican squash. Um, in Mexico, they are called calabacita or little pumpkins, but I think one of the best things, um, about tatumé is that the squash vine borers really do seem to leave them alone so maybe you might want to try that for the fall you shouldn't have a problem finding uh, seeds online if you're not able to find them at um, like your local nursery if you do decide to try growing tatume, um, you might want to let one of them at least grow to full size that way you can save the seed Tutume is an heirloom plant, and it's open pollinated, so this means that the seeds are going to stay true to the parent plant. A lot of the hybrid plants out there will not produce true to their parents. Sometimes this is good, but um, a lot of times it's disappointing and the fruits just aren't as good if you get any at all. But all this means is that tutume squash, you're going to be able to save the seeds, so... Maybe try letting one grow to full size. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. It's really quick. Just click on those stars. It's going to help others find the show and it lets folks know that Plow and Hose is a pretty good show. And it's also really important for the show's statistics, so I'd really appreciate it if you would go leave a review. Okay, well, last week my husband had a conference for work in San Antonio, and we decided to take a little break and run down there for a few days. It's like a two-hour drive from Taylor, so why not? Um, You know, a nice change of scenery is always welcome, and we hadn't been there in a while, so, um... We did. We pretty much hung around the resort during the day when my husband attended his conference. The kids and I stayed right by the pool the entire time. Um, We've stayed at this resort a few times before for the same conference. Um, It's been a couple of years. Anyway, um, the theme there is Texas Hill Country and... um, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it's like a modern Central Texas Western theme, with lots of limestone and wood details, lone stars, bunch of leather, that kind of thing. Um, Cowhide—that's what I mean. Um, they went ahead and extended the theme kind of outside with their landscaping the central Texas hill country part, at least. Um, Anyway, lots of oak trees and cedar elms on the property and lots and lots and lots of drought-tolerant native plants out in their flower beds. Tons of really great plants, too. Really tough ones like Turk's cap and Aztec grass, Mexican honeysuckle, all kinds of different salvias, firebush, Prada Barbados, cast iron plant, now i'm I'm a pretty observant person, especially when it comes to plants. and one thing that I really notice is that um, the plants that were around the pool and kind of around the lazy river, they really look the best. Um, you know, being close to the water, even chlorinated water obviously has its advantages, not only um, because not only because they get water that gets sloshed and splashed around. But also because of the higher humidity and the microclimate created by the pool. Most plants enjoy the extra moisture in the air, but some plants, especially those used to the dry air like we have this time of year, are very efficient at absorbing moisture from the air. So the plants by the pool looked really full and happy and healthy. Now, the ones further away from the pool and the ones heading out to the parking lots and the ones closer to the buildings, they didn't look quite as nice. Um, a lot of them were looking pretty puny and exhausted and wiped out from the heat. And that's because, like hard surfaces like pavement and like buildings and walls, um, they absorb but they also radiate heat. So, plants that are next to them maintain a slightly hotter and drier microclimate. Now, even though the resort did a super job of selecting drought-tolerant plants, when we have such long stretches of 100-degree days, it is just so hard, even on the toughest plants, um, especially when they are in unfavorable microclimates like near parking lots and near buildings. And, you know, I actually felt kind of bad for those plants and I was thinking that they really would do better if they had got some afternoon shade. But, you know, it's the resort and it's not it's not like my backyard where I would just like put up some T-posts and poles and hang up an old sheet to give the plants some shade. Um, if I ever own a resort, maybe I would do that and then probably nobody would come to my resort. After a couple of days at the resort, we decided to go check out other parts of San Antonio. So we pulled out our phones to get some ideas, and we decided to check out the San Antonio Japanese Tea Garden, which is one of the city's amazing public parks. The Japanese Tea Garden is located on St. Mary Street, which is very close to the San Antonio Zoo, if you happen to know where that is. And it is this incredible garden that is tucked just off the street on the hillside. And it's built into the remains of an old carved out limestone rock quarry that dates back to 1880. The rocks from the quarry were used to construct many of those really cool old buildings in downtown San Antonio. When the uh, quarry was abandoned, um, the city of San Antonio took it over in 1908, and the guy in charge of doing something with this big old hideous eyesore, he had an idea. He wanted to turn it into a magnificent lily pond. But eventually, the idea morphed into a Japanese-style garden with an island and bridges and walkways and a Japanese pagoda, all made from limestone. And of course, you know, he was a city employee, and he didn't have any money or budget, but he did have access to free labor. So he was able to get the garden constructed with labor from prisoners from the city prison, and they did all the construction. He was also able to convince some residents to donate lily bulbs for the pond and a whole bunch of other plants to build a really nice garden. Later in the 1920s, they added some small cottages at the base of the gardens as just an extra tourist attraction, and it was called Mexican Village, and it was like for resident artists and craftsmen. They also, at this time, invited a Japanese-American artist to move to the garden and live there, and they allowed his family to operate a restaurant, and it was called the Bamboo Room, The family ran the tea garden up until World War II and they got evicted because, uh, there were some people back then that were anti-Japanese bigots and they got evicted and had to leave. But then a Chinese American family took over and then the garden was renamed the Chinese Sunken Garden. Eventually, it was renamed back to the Japanese Tea Garden, and the entire garden was renovated in 2008. So, everything was repaired, restored, replanted, including the ponds and the waterfall, and the waterfall is so nice. It just gently cascades down the side of the quarry wall back into the pond, and you know, I was really blown away by this Japanese tea garden. I'm not really sure what I was expecting, but it's so cool. Um, you know, when you first walk up to the entrance, there are these two or three stone cottages um, from the Mexican village that are still there. There's also um, there the remains of a huge old cement company kiln chimney. Um, that's right out front. So when you walk up, nothing exactly screams Japanese garden when you first get there. As you get a little bit closer to the entrance, there's a replica Japanese torii gate, and then you go through that, and there's a stone path that leads up to a stone house at the top of the hill. That used to be the um, where the Japanese-American family lived and had their restaurant. Um, all along the path to the top to the stone house, um, are just different tiers and levels um, of flower beds, and they're just cram packed full of just beautiful Texas natives like Prado Barbados, Esperanza, Hibiscus, Plumbago, tons and tons of plants and trees, and it's so pretty and shady. Just heading up the path to the garden. Then, once you get up to the top, there is a completely amazing, it is totally spectacular, limestone Japanese style pagoda. It is massive, it is so huge. And the columns are made from white, rough limestone, and the roof and the supports are all wood. I can't say that I would exactly call this particularly authentic. I really don't know because I can't say I've been to a real Japanese pagoda, but it is so cool and it's super funky, like in a 1920s San Antonio, Texas interpretation sort of way. Really, it's weird, but I love it. All the raw chalky stones... The Refune Wood, it's kind of got a Flintstone vibe about it. And I'm totally sure that that's not what they intended, but that's what I got. Asian prehistoric Texas Hill Country cool. And you know what? I really think that more places should aspire to that kind of greatness because it's pretty amazing. Now, as you cross through this magnificent pagoda, that's when it hits you. Because when you look out and across and down, you'll see this incredible bowl. I don't know, it's like two or three stories below, is this carved out bowl carved from the hillside and it's just filled with lush plants and cool ponds and there's stone staircases and bridges and pathways and this wonderful waterfall that splashes down the face of the quarry wall and looking down into those lily ponds there are these islands of water lilies and swimming in the ponds are these giant koi fish i mean they're huge they're like three feet long i mean and they're all colors too bright orange and copper and white and black and and calico and they're huge i mean you can see them from really high up and they're just like swimming around there in the lilies and it's just so beautiful and lush with flowers and plants and trees. And it's so interesting because except for the lilies in the pond, all the plants that are there are the usual Texas native and native adaptive plant plants that we see everywhere. The ones that do best for us here in central Texas but because they are planted in a Japanese-inspired garden, they're really out of context. But it, it's cool. It makes a lot of sense because native and native adapted just do better. They do. They're they're just going to do better than if they tried to like be very authentic and bring in. Um, you know, Asian plants like ginkgo trees or um, uh, I don't know. Um, Yeah, native plants just, they're just going to do better. So they might as well have used um, plants that are going to do well. Anyway, it was just really cool to see how they incorporated them in a very specific garden design. But it was also weird also to see pecan and peach trees in a Japanese style garden. Anyway, if you are ever in San Antonio and you have a little time, go check out the Japanese Tea Garden. It is a remarkable park and such an interesting adaptive reuse of an abandoned quarry. For me, it's magical and definitely beautiful. But the very best thing, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything to go in. So swing by there and check it out. All right, friends, thank you for joining me again. I hope y'all don't get too disheartened by this heat. I know it sucks, but don't let that stop you from putting in your fall garden.